Amen. Good morning, Vista family. Um, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet, my name is Sydney, and I have the honor of serving as the college and young adults pastor. And I'm so excited to get to worship with you guys today, the day after Christmas. Um, so this morning as well as next Sunday, we're in between sermon series. So next Sunday, we're going to have the privilege of hearing from some of our elders as we go through a time of celebration and reflection. So that's going to be a special treat, and we hope you'll join us for that. And then today, I thought we could spend some time in a psalm together. So we're going to be in Psalm 42. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We also have Bibles in front of the sound booth. If you don't have one, feel free to grab that, and it's yours to keep. We're also going to have the text on the screen for you to follow along. So... Psalm 42, starting in verse 1, says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throngs and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you in the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. At your breakers, your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a shattering of my bones and my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of my countenance and my God. So this morning, I want to share with you about my engagement story, because who doesn't love a good engagement story? So um, Aaron, my now husband right there, um, got me out to Miller Springs Park, the park right across from the dam, and the scheme was that our friend Liv needed to build her portfolio. So she wanted a few model couples to take pictures of to build her portfolio, so that's how they got us out there. And I would be lying if I said I wasn't suspicious because this definitely seemed like the perfect opportunity for a proposal. So we got out there. I was giddy. I was nervous. I was excited. And I would be lying if I said I didn't use any opportunity to look at Aaron's pockets to see if I could see the outline of a ring box. But after about 30 minutes into a normal photo shoot and no sign of a ring box in sight, I had pretty much given up hope that the proposal wasn't happening that day. But about the same moment I had given up hope, we turned this corner and we turned around this tree line and I saw this setup. And I realized, okay, it's happening. And I started to freak out. And then Aaron started to freak out. But he got down on one knee and proposed. And I said, yes, of course. And we were so excited. And it was awesome. And then he told me that we had a lot of friends and family waiting for us um, for a party at a friend's house afterwards. And we celebrated. And y'all, by the end of the night, my cheeks literally hurt so bad from smiling so much. 
Um, but after the night was over, I had to go back to where I was dog sitting. And so I go back to the house and I come inside, you know, on cloud nine, like couldn't stop looking at my ring on top of the world, best day ever. And then I smell something. And then I realize that there's dog poop everywhere. And not the kind of dog poop that is easy to clean up either. I'll just leave it at that. And so I took one last look at my ring and soaked it all in and then took it off and put it on the counter and was like, okay, time to look for the cleaning supplies. And just like that, back to reality, time to clean up the dog poop. And I tell you this story because I feel like that's what today can be like for a lot of us, right? Christmas is full of excitement and joy and celebration when we get to spend time with our friends and family and the people that we love. It's a time where we get to celebrate the hope that is in Jesus being born into the world. And we get to remember his birth with all our brothers and sisters that are believers in the entire world. We get to celebrate this one special day together, right? And so we're on this spiritual cloud nine. And then the 26 hits. And just like that, we're back to reality, right? And then we got to think about the dog poop. We got to think about putting up the decorations and taking down the lights. And then you realize, oh man, I got to go back to work on Monday. And I have to think about the stuff in my life that I really don't like very much right now. And most importantly, we have to acknowledge where is our true hope truly found. So that brings us back to Psalm 42. So the Psalms are, um, they're raw and honest emotions of the people of Israel. They're poetry and songs that are meant to be read slowly and worshipfully. And this specific psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah, who were most likely a group that were responsible for leading temple worship. Okay, so they would lead the temple worship in songs, and it would be a community of believers, much like us in this room today, that would have sang this song. But it's also written in first person because the psalmist intends you and me to be able to lean in to this psalm and experience the emotions that he's experiencing as well. So right off the bat in this psalm, the writer is saying that he is longing for God's presence. He's longing for God's presence like a deer longs for water because he is acknowledging he feels separated from God. He feels separated from God's presence. So he says, I thirst for God, the living God. And I think it's pretty cool that the psalmist here and a lot of different prophets throughout the Old Testament use this water imagery for God. Because we're tangible, we're physical people, right? And we, it helps us to think of God, our relationship with God in these tangible ways. So this is what the psalmist is doing here. And then we see Jesus do this as well. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38, he says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as scripture said, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. So no matter what season we're in, we should all be longing for God's presence in this way. We should all be longing for God to be our sustainer. 
So are we longing for God to be our sustainer this morning? The psalmist says he needs God's presence to quench his thirst. So are we turning to God to quench our thirst? Or are we turning to things of the world and our seasons of desperation to try and quench our thirst? The psalmist teaches us in his desperation, in his dry season, in his confusion, that we need to be people who discern who and what we are longing for. And then in verse 3, we learn that the psalmist is having a diet of tears these days. And some of you think diets like the keto diet sound pretty bad, right? Like you are literally starving your body from sugar. And over the past few weeks, we've had all these amazing desserts brought into our office for Christmas. And there's a few crazy people on our staff who choose to not partake in all the sugar. And I won't say any names, but be in prayer for Chris and Nick. Um, So, yeah, we think that diet sounds pretty bad, right? But what about a diet of tears? And some of you are like, maybe, maybe a diet of tears isn't such a bad idea after all the food I ate yesterday, right? But no, don't do that. It's, it is a bad idea. But you can just sense the heaviness of the psalmist's heart. And then we see him dealing with the fact that he keeps getting asked this question. He keeps getting asked this question, where is your God? Where is your God? And whoever his oppressors are in his ear mocking him, asking him this question, where is your God. And y'all, I feel like we also feel this tension every day. The world is asking us, where is our God? I mean, if you flip on the news or scroll through social media, it is evident that the world does not find its hope in Jesus. It does not find its life in Jesus. Stanley Hauerwas wrote a book called Resident Aliens, and I love the word picture here because it reminds us that no matter where we live, we should see ourselves as resident aliens, people who are living in a foreign land. In other words, as people who put our hope in Jesus, we are, or at least we should be by nature, radically counter-cultural, and thus we're supposed to feel like outsiders a lot of the time. And with that, I want to remind us that our oppressors, the ones mocking us, are ultimately not other human beings. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So what Paul is saying here is like, yeah, we're going to go to war. We're going to feel oppression on this earth, but it's not against other people. It's not against Jews or Gentiles. It's not against conservatives or liberals. It's not against our brothers or sisters. No, it's against the enemy. He is our oppressor. Spiritual warfare is well at work in our world trying to distract us and tell us that our God cannot save us. The world is trying to feed us these lies like you do you and follow your truth and God can't save you. So let's see how the psalmist responds in this dry season and a season of desperation and feeling the oppression of the world. He's going to teach us how to look in two directions, two directions. The first is backwards. He's going to think back and remember the times he has felt near to God. In verse 4, he says, 
These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So what he's saying here is he used to experience these times of joy when he got to go to the temple and enjoy communal worship with his brothers and sisters. He's recalling these specific moments where he knew God was faithful. And then he goes on to describe some geography for us, which is probably to draw our attention to the Jordan River back into this water imagery. But this time the water represents chaos. But what he's doing here is he's saying the water, the chaos is flooding me. It's it's drowning me, but I know, I know that God can calm the storms because he says in verse 8, he acknowledges the Lord's loving, loyal kindness and faithfulness. He's acknowledging the Lord has been faithful to him day and night. And then, y'all, even in his doubts, he says God is his rock. Even in his doubts, he acknowledges that God is his rock. So the psalmist teaches us here that a great way to respond to our our struggles and our um, feelings of separation from God when the world seems violently against us is to remember when we have seen God be faithful in our lives. And maybe for you, that's in a special song that we sing here at church that reminds you of God's faithfulness. Or maybe it's been in a sunset or a sunrise or being out at the beach and looking at the waves and realizing how powerful God is. Or maybe it's been in a specific answered prayer for you that you've seen God be faithful Or maybe it's in a friendship that the Lord has brought you, someone specific that the Lord has gifted you with. So I want us to be people who think back and remember when God has been faithful. In the dry seasons, we need to be people who think back on the times when we have seen God's presence and hold on to those moments and recall the joy in them. This helps us remember and recenter on our true spiritual reality that God is faithful even when we don't feel like he is. So then the next direction um, is forward. My favorite part of the psalm is in verse 5, and then he says it again in verse 11. That's what really drew me to the psalm. He says, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. So what the psalmist is doing here is he's literally giving his soul a pep talk. He's like, come on, soul, what got you to this place? What made you feel this way? Because, soul, you know where your hope is found. Soul, you you know that I will be faithful and I will be present again. And how many of us give our soul pep talks like this? Like, do any of you get up in the morning and give your soul a pep talk? Because I don't really. Like, I think it sounds a little weird right off the bat, right? But as I've been thinking about this, we do it a whole lot more than we realize because the songs we sing here on Sunday mornings, there are a lot of the songs come from the Psalms where it's very normal to give your soul a pep talk. And we sing songs that give our soul a pep talk. One of my favorite songs we've been singing lately says, come on my soul, oh don't you get shy on me, lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of those lungs, so get up and praise the Lord. So these psalms teach us how to worship. But we've heard of the term, fake it till you make it, right? 
We're very familiar with that term. And that kind of what this sounds like. Like, tell your soul what you need to believe until you truly believe it. And then that might lead you to say, man, I don't really like that because that seems disingenuous. And I don't want to have a disingenuous faith. And Austin literally just talked about it this past Sunday about having a phony faith, right? We don't want to be people who have phony faith. So what is the psalmist doing here? Well, we just talked about how he's in this really heavy season, and he's already acknowledged that he feels separated from God. He's always already acknowledged that he feels the weight of his oppressors. So he isn't being phony. He's being honest. But what the psalmist is doing here, he isn't faking it, but instead he's being disciplined. He isn't faking it, but instead being disciplined. So if you know me, you know that I really enjoy going to the gym and working out. Um, and, but there are some days that I don't feel like going to the gym. So if the days that I didn't feel like going, if I was like, oh, I don't, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to go today, and I just gave in to that feeling, well, what if it continued day after day, week after week, month after month, and I wasn't feeling like going, so I just didn't go well, eventually my body would become unhealthy and I know it would affect my mental health as well. So what if instead on the days I don't feel like going, I decided to give myself a little pep talk and say, Sydney, you know this is going to be best for you. You know you're going to appreciate it after you go and years down the line when you're playing with your kids and even into your own old age. So what if I chose to respond that way? And then if I do choose to be disciplined, then I notice something happens. I find joy in going to the gym, and I miss it when I don't go. 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 9 says this, and I love it in the message version. It says, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far more so, making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. This is why we've thrown ourselves into the venture so totally. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. So our faith should function in the same way as I just talked about going to the gym. Like, if we're not feeling our faith today, if we're not feeling our relationship with God today, we don't get to say, oh, well, maybe tomorrow. No, we have to be people who give our souls a pep talk and say, man, whether I'm feeling it or not today, I'm going to choose to believe where my hope is found. I'm going to choose to believe where my hope is found. So it's okay to admit we don't feel like it. But that does not mean we should not be disciplined. So, for example, um, in a dry season, you might not feel like reading your Bible. You might not feel like reading your Bible. But we know that the Bible is our primary source of truth. It's where the word of God is. And so we should train ourselves to want to spend time in the word. But for me, I was in a really dry season and didn't want to open my Bible, so I decided I needed to start a disciplined reading plan that would give me some accountability. And now I'm like 170 days into it, and it really has started to train me and shape me to my body to want to physically open my Bible and my soul to crave the word. 
And then maybe you don't feel like praying. But our church gives you this vista rule of life that our leaders have helped create um, these three prayers. And we pray the morning prayer, the prayer to receive, the midday prayer, the prayer for others, and the evening prayer, prayer to release the day. And so what if we just submitted to this habit of prayer like our church has given us and choose to create a space to encounter God? Um, I've been reading this book on prayer with one of my students, and the author talks about if we can just find a place, a physical place in our home or in our car where we can commit to praying regularly, that on the days we don't feel like praying, on the days we don't have any words to say, by physically showing up to that spot is putting our bodies in a posture to encounter God. And y'all, that is what our VISTA rule of life is about. That's what it's really about. They're disciplines and habits that allow us to be shaped as faithful followers of Jesus, even when we don't feel like it. Even when we don't feel like it. And y'all, sometimes these disciplines might feel awkward, they might feel hard, and they might push you out of your comfort zone, but that's okay, because if we never do things that push us out of our comfort zone as followers of Jesus, we're never going to mature in our relationship with the Lord. So in conclusion, guys, let's be like the psalmist. And when we feel far from God's presence, when we feel the weight of our oppressors, and when we're just not feeling it in general, let's be people who give our souls a pep talk. Walter Brueggemann, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this. He says, the Psalm, Psalm 42, makes it very clear that both despair and hope inhabit life, but both lead to maturity. Both lead to maturity. And I know, for me, I sometimes feel embarrassed to admit those seasons when I'm not feeling it. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be feeling it all the time, right? Um, But we can grow from even seasons like these. And y'all hear me say this, there is no shame in in admitting when you aren't feeling God's presence. Because y'all, we can't, we can't escape the despair that the world brings us. And even Jesus admitted when he felt the weight of despair. But because of Jesus, we know that nothing can separate us from the steadfast, loyal love of God. And this is where our hope is found. This is where our hope is found. So like the psalmist in hard seasons, in the times we aren't feeling it, let's be people who look backwards, remembering God's faithfulness. And let's be people who look forwards with discipline, declaring where our hope is and will be found. And on uneventful days like today and all the back-to-reality days that will come, Let's choose to speak truth to our soul and remind our soul that God is where our hope is and he is the hope of the world. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we get to be in a relationship with a God who we can admit to that we are struggling we can admit when we feel far from you, 
But God, we know that you are right there with us, right there beside us, and ready to catch us when we fall. God, thank you for the times that we have experienced your faithfulness. I pray that we would be people who lean into those times and remember the joy in them. And that we would also be people who have the strength to be disciplined on the days when we aren't feeling it. We love you. We declare that you are good. Amen.